Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 22 and the last time the message was titled a balanced view and Jesus is you know he did this regularly right he spoke about his return spoke about the good news of the coming I mean that's good news the coming kingdom you know his followers were following him and the Romans were oppressive they were harsh Uh, so you know he was giving them something to look forward to all believers to look forward to uh, it's a very exciting thing. We took it actually in three sermons because it's that intricate. Uh, there's been a lot of, maybe over the millennia, either church is not teaching the subject for whatever reason, or unfortunately, because of that lack of teaching and the vacuum, spiritual vacuum, others filling in that vacuum, teaching the wrong thing. So we wanted to make sure that we took three sermons on the subject. And today, the message is titled, A Lot Going On. Some of the hardest things I have to do (laughs) when I prepare a sermon is find a title that encompasses everything that's going on. So, you know, I'll change it a few times, but there is a lot going on. I mean, there's historical, right? There's some details. uh, There is some prophecy. uh, There's some preparation for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, and the Lord uh, celebrating that with his disciples and then moving on to the Lord's Supper or what we know as communion, both interchangeable so we're going to see how does this affect what what's going on here right the teachings there was the teachings heavy teachings um, then the the crucifixion and these are really the hours before and a lot is happening in those hours and we're going to see sunday as well uh, some conflict that the lord has to deal with while he has the cross on his mind so to speak so we're going to jump in and we're going to look at this in four parts So Luke 22, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes, right? There was a religious echelon, uh, sort of sometimes like we even have in the United States and overseas, uh, which I guess they become, sometimes they become so powerful that they forget what they're there for. And this is what happened in the first century. You can read historical sources. So the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might kill him, for they feared the people. That's interesting. Then Satan, Lucifer, entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him, Jesus, to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him, to them in the absence of the multitude. So one is strange bedfellows. You got this weird dynamic with somebody who walked with Jesus for years, right? Saw the miracles and uh, he's conferring with the uh, corrupt echelon of the religious system to, to, to kill him pretty much. Um, so we're going to talk about that. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover went together. Uh, the Feasts of Israel are pretty awesome. 
There's still many of them are still celebrated today, and there's a meaning behind every feast. It's not just let's have food and fellowship, which is a good thing, but there's always an element, there's a God element to it, right? And God was very clever in doing that, so they wouldn't forget about Him, right? We even think of communion today as Christians. So uh, Jesus Christ has to be killed on the Passover. We're going to get into that significance, a lot to this. But in one breath, Luke tells us of a great irony where the Jewish people are celebrating God's mercy in the Passover. If you understand the Passover, you understand God's mercy in it. And every house could have been protected from this judgment if they had followed God's prescribed ways. However, in this particular Passover, the religious leaders had no mercy for the real Passover lamb (laughs) embodied. And we're going to talk about that as well. A lot of things to talk about today. In Matthew 26, and I like to go through the different Gospels, some of them add a little bit more nuance depending on the audience they're trying to reach. Uh, he, Matthew tells us that the high priest Caiaphas conspired with the other scribes and, and leaders to do this as well. Right? Pretty wild stuff. And actually, if you look at Jewish and secular sources, there's a lot of negative things said about these historic figures. The Bible gives a lot of detail on purpose, all right? And Caiaphas was a a real historical figure. Um, So you can look that up on your own. Verse 2, the religious leaders feared the people. Why did they fear the people? Because they, rightly so, looked at Jesus as the Messiah. So they felt that if they they had their own security forces, they had their captains, if they lay hold of Jesus in front of the crowd, they didn't know what the crowd might do. So they were just very sneaky about the whole thing. And they didn't want to do anything that could upset the crowds, right? But I would say this, when you fear people more than you fear God, we're running into problems, okay? Politicians do that, right? What do the polls say? Okay, well, we elected you to do the right thing and represent us. Just do the right thing. Who cares what the polls say to a certain extent? But this is what happens when you get into these high positions, you become really a quasi-politician. And that's a dangerous place to be as someone who's supposedly, supposedly representing the things of God. There's a term we use, man-pleaser versus God-pleaser. We want to be a God-pleaser. And you know what? You see this on social media. People will put stuff up. They'll just go along with whatever their group is saying. And it could be something that's wrong. It could be something that's... Uh, against God and His Word, but you know they feel that pressure. I mean, I'm blessed, and I, I don't want to be older, but at least I can look back and say I existed before there was social media, so I don't really feel that pressure. <laughs> uh, but I want to—I really want to please God. I don't want to please people, and hopefully, by pleasing God, I'll be pleasing the right people. You don't want to put the cart before the horse, so to speak. So the irony, a lot of ironies here, is as the religious leaders were removing literal leaven, which was symbolic of sin from their homes during this feast, and it's still done today, that they didn't remove the leaven of sin from their hearts. And again, you know, sometimes people come to me and, you know, like someone will observe and they'll say, well, Pastor Joe, you, you had a lot of patience with that person. They were clearly disrespectful. And I always say, just listen to people. What are they trying to say? What's on their heart? And people do that. They'll say to me, you know, religion is the cause of a lot of wars and blah, 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 blah. You've heard all of it. And you know what? I just listen. But some of what they're saying is true. Just because someone's religious or there's a religious institution doesn't mean they're doing the right thing. 
right? Jim Baker, there was a biography wrote about him, and they said before he got into the women and the money, and then he got hauled off, I believe, to federal prison, uh, he was a solid preacher. And he allowed this slow fade to kind of go downhill. Uh, so, you know, when somebody comes up to me and they're hostile, I listen to them. I hear them out because some of what they're saying is true. But I will say, don't allow someone who's falsely representing God to keep you from God. Right? So, listen, I can concede points. <laughs> My goal is to get people to, to follow Christ, period. So, you know, there was a religious system, right? There was a religious system in the Middle Ages. There's a religious system today. Is it all representing God accurately? Probably not. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes people lose their way. Verses 3 through 6, Satan or Lucifer entered Judas and he was a conduit for the religious leaders to have Jesus crucified. But this didn't happen in a vacuum, right? We go to the, oh, when you go to this church, you go to Calvary Chapel, we're always going to bring in, I don't understand these churches who discount the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus' existence, you know, what he did, this all was prophesied hundreds of years, thousands of years before he actually came. So there's a few things. Zechariah 11, 12 through 13, Psalm 41, 9 speaks about the betrayal specifically. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 speaks about the crucifixion and the substitutionary atonement. So these things needed to happen for who? For us, right? For us. Uh, the, the sacrifice was efficacious for all of humanity to be saved. It's a wonderful thing. And again, I just say that it didn't take place in a vacuum, right? A lot of Old Testament precedent here. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, in the Old Testament, which I quote a lot, actually Jeremiah is saying to the people, it's one of the larger prophets, one of the largest books in the Bible. And he says in the Old Testament, he says this, a new testament is coming. You know, be ready for this new testament, this new covenant. So it's all, it's all there, right? It's all foundational. So Satan enters Judas. Now, some people, sadly enough, don't believe in demons. Listen, you see what's going on on this planet? You see what's going on in this earth, our culture? Uh, some of the crimes that are committed, the, the hatred, the uh, callousness to human life, the depravity. You know, this is, this is from that world, unfortunately, that people make themselves a portal. They invite these things in. They play with fire, so to speak, spiritually. An interesting side discussion is what was the portal that Judas used to provide Satan to come into his life? Um, when Satan entered, it, again, it didn't happen overnight. Did Judas start out okay? And this is a theologians that debate this. People ask these questions. Honestly, we don't have the answer. But I can throw a few conjecture. Some conjecture out here is some of the possibilities is A, Whatever the reason, you know, it was still it was still evil, and then you'll see. We'll find out later how Judas returns the money because he realizes what he did was wrong. And I and I see people too. Listen, being a law enforcement veteran, uh, they they get themselves a person gets themselves in trouble. They get arrested to go into court, and and then they'll, in a moment of clarity, they'll say, "How did I get myself into this?" And then they'll look back and look at the path that they went on to. You know, I, I was blinded. I, it happened so quickly. You know, I had people kind of cheering me on. Um, and it's a very sad thing when that happens. But let's look at some conjecture. A, Judas wanted to force Jesus to overthrow Rome. Again, we don't know. This is conjecture, right? So in other words, maybe Jesus went and he figured, 
Well, if I can put enough pressure on him, you know, let's, let's get this thing going. Let's overthrow Rome. And he, he it was a catalyst and, and speeded up the process. Another uh, idea that people have is, uh, are we talking about a translation of his last name or a transliteration? If we're talking about a translation, is it Ish Kerioth, uh, is Carrot? He was a man of Kerioth, possibly. Or if it's a transliteration, uh, the word Sicarius is in there, which means assassin. We actually have the word today, Sicario, a uh, person is, a, is an assassin, right? So was he, Jesus chose fishermen, he chose a tax collector, he chose uh, a zealot, a, a Sicario, Sicarius, uh, to, you know, and, and try to get them all. Imagine that, such diversity in his followers. So, so different. I want, and they bickered at times, right? <laughs> so, and then he, he, when he ascends into heaven, he sends them out, except for Judas, unfortunately for him. Uh, he sends them out and they, they change the world. But was he, was he, you know, one of these zealots where he was disillusioned with the peaceful Jesus? He liked Jesus' references to the coming kingdom, but maybe he didn't like the mode as how it was going to get there. So he becomes disillusioned. It's, it's another choice. Or possibly just see. I think it's John's Gospel that we're told that Judas was, you could say he was the treasurer, and he took some money for himself. Of course, Jesus knew what he was doing. Um, you know, and, and he, was he just all about money? Were the 30 pieces of silver such a big deal to him? Did he get so overwhelmed with money that he does something and then realizes, wow, this was just really a bad idea? And I'll tell you what, when you, sometimes when people are in the world and it's all about money, they make poor, poor, poor decisions. And they think, well, you know, whatever, it's, I got to get to the top of the food chain in my field. I got to get to the top and all the degrees I'm pursuing, the top of everything. And they look back at their lives and say, what was it all for? When you don't have the Lord and you don't have love, um, it's empty. You could be, the top can be a lonely place. Some of these CEOs, you know. Uh, people they just such high positions maybe they don't there's nobody to confide in uh, there's a, a particular Calvary Chapel pastor who fell uh, many years ago and his church was was the biggest church the biggest Calvary Chapel on the planet and bad things happened you know was he so isolated in his ivory tower and he fell and it was a long fall for him um, he's no longer a pastor obviously so, you know, we can look at this in a lot of different ways. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, to stay close to, to Christ. And we should be careful with the alliances that we make to try to get things for ourselves because they could be questionable alliances. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of lessons in here. It doesn't mean we're going to become Judas, but it does mean that we can do things to mess up our own lives, right? So there's a lot of application in here. Here's the most tragic thing. Judas ate with Jesus. Judas fellowshiped with Jesus. He was physically close to Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw the healings. He saw the feedings. He saw the raising of the dead, right? But he wasn't saved. That's tragic. <laughs> you know, Jesus saw Christ's power over legion, over the demonic realm, casting them out of a person. That same realm that Judas became a part of because of some crazy idea that he had. You know what's also tragic? What's tragic is people who are surrounded by the things of God. And Calvary Chapel is not the only good church. There's a lot of great Bible teaching churches. To be a part of a church for various reasons that teaches the Bible 
It's all about Jesus. It's all about getting close to God. And they don't receive Christ. Right? They have all the accoutrements of spirituality, but they're not saved. That's tragic. Amen? You know, I went to a, a Bible teaching church, and listen, I, I, there's a lot of things I didn't do right in life, so I'm not here to judge anybody, trust me. You know, I came out of the world, and you know, a friend of mine invited me to a Calvary Chapel, and I'm sitting there for months listening to the pastor preaching the Word. Eventually, I got uncomfortable because there was something inside of me that said, you don't have this. You don't have God in your life. I wore a crucifix, right? I did the rituals at times. I did not have God in my life. And after several months, I had to make a decision. I should leave this place because I don't believe what they're saying or I need to research it, which is probably the better option, to see if these things are true. And if they are true, what do I do now? I was blessed to, I just love seeing people come to the Lord. Sometimes they're younger, sometimes they're older. I met with somebody yesterday and he he just, I'm thinking he's going to ask me these deep theological questions and he asked me simple things. What do I do now? You know, what do I avoid? You know, it was so, I just looked at him and just looked at the innocence in his eyes and I thought, wow, and this person's, he's an accomplished person, but he's new to the things of God, right? So it's it's a blessing. It's a blessing, um, you know. Continuing on verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. The Passover lamb, if you're familiar with the feast. Uh, and he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, right? For Jesus and his followers that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city... <laughs> Jesus didn't go with them. He just says, go enter the city. You're going to see a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, following him, follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say, the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So it's an interesting discussion in itself. And two out of four is the preparation. The preparation. You know, the disciples, uh, Jesus would speak to them about his coming crucifixion. He said it in many different ways. Uh, a lot of, sometimes they actually argued with him. <laughs> you raise the dead. You, you heal people of leprosy. How are you going to be crucified? You could just snap your finger and all those soldiers will fall down, you know. But they uh, maybe were just a little bit clueless, and maybe we would be too, without 2,000 years of church history and commentaries and reading the Word. Uh, But they might have thought, well, this Passover is like any other Passover. No doubt Jesus celebrated the Passover the other two years that he walked with the disciples, but this one was different. Let me just talk to you about three different types of this lamb situation. Now, we do this pretty much every year. We've done it for years. We have a great, uh, great teacher who comes out, and he does the Passover Seder. We're going to do it again in the spring. He puts a table up. We remove the pulpit, and he shows the, you know, the, the Seder plate and, and all the different elements to the Seder, uh, and he goes through them, the matzah, the afikoman. He goes through them one by one, and the, the teaching is called Messiah in the Passover. The Messiah is all over the Passover. You know, when you actually watch one of these teachings, you're like, wow, that makes sense. 
You know, the three, the three levels of bread and the one in the middle is removed and it's hidden and it's brought back out and it's broken up and, and the four glasses of wine and what the... You've got you to check this out. So we're going to do it again in the spring. So Messiah and the Passover really gives us an idea of really what this whole thing was about. And I'm just going to give you three levels of this, the whole idea with the Passover lamb. So... Passover lamb, right? In, in Egypt, there was the, the judgment of the firstborn. And you could have had everyone in the house was a firstborn. The mother could have been the firstborn, the father, uh, and they had one kid, firstborn. So we don't know the combination of who's firstborn, who's second. doesn't matter. But the judgment was coming through Egypt. And even the Jewish people had to have this innocent life slain and shed its blood so that the judgment would pass over their house, Right? So it's, what, it, what, it, what is the Passover? It's the innocent dies for the guilty. And we're, we're going to get somewhere with this. It's, some people say, that sounds unfair. You know? um, when you look at the uh, temple, so there's three things going on, right? When you look at the temple sacrifices, you know, if, you, if you study a rabbinical commentary and you know, the detail that they gave about the temple and the laver and the, you know, the different type of offerings to God and um, you know, the, the shedding of the blood, again, this perfect spotless lamb, and the priest would sprinkle it a, 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 on the mercy seat, and you know, it, would be, it would be a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the people. So you've got two separate situations, same theme, right? Third one, which ties it all together, a lot of people say, well, why did John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? He probably didn't look like a lamb. You know, why would he say something like that? Because Jesus was the culmination of the innocent for the guilty, right? God the Son came in the line of human beings, the human race that started this whole sin thing, uh, snowball taking place. So the innocent sheds his life, sheds his blood. Uh, he dies for the guilty. Substitutionary atonement. So you have Passover, you have the temple sacrifices, you have Christ. Hebrews tells us he did it once, not like the lambs that had to be done over and over again, once and for all, because he was fully God and fully man. So you have three things going on here. Um, and this goes back to Leviticus 17 about the uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. There's a lot of things in the Scripture that if you look, you know, you'll find it's very deep. It's very complex. There's a lot of themes that are going on here. So in Egypt, interestingly enough, the redemption was physical redemption. When the plague came over the houses, the people were intact. They were saved physically. I'm still here. My heart is still beating. However, what happened with Christ was something that you don't see. It's the spiritual redemption. However, when you die, you realize very quickly, oh, praise God. You know, Jesus died for my sins. I'm in a good place at this point. Uh, so a lot of different pictures. Uh, you know, I don't want to continue it on, but pretty much that, that's what you have going on here. So Jesus sends Peter and John on, I would say, a clandestine mission. He only sends two of his disciples, Right? to go make the preparations for the Passover. So Jesus knows everything that's going on. He knows that when, when Judas was dipping in the bread and the sop with him, he knew that he was sitting right next to a traitor. Um, he knew what was going to take place. How, here's the interesting thing, how God works, is 
Jesus, Yeshua, had to be crucified on the Passover in accordance to the Scripture. He couldn't be crucified later. He couldn't be crucified too soon. (laughs) So he gets all these things done. He's got two of his disciples. They set everything up. He can't be taken before the Passover celebrated with his disciples. So there's kind of this wild thing going on in linear time where God says, here's a finite point where this has to take place. So, you know, people say, Pastor Joe, like, why does the Bible give so many details beforehand? It seems like just technical jargon because there's a reason for it, right? Uh, the Romans take them too soon, it's a problem. They take them too late, come on, what are you guys doing? You know, I got to commit a crime. I, I got I to be taken. You know, it's got to happen on the Passover. Um, so it, it happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. And you know what? Sometimes until we really read the fulfillment of the Scriptures, we don't realize all of the things that had to take place for God to save our souls. It's pretty amazing. If God says, this is my law, well, God He's not going to break His own law, right? He's got to fit within those confines. Because God and the law, God and the Word, are they're synonymous. So, a lot of things going on. Um, Interestingly enough, too, is the way the Jewish people, and they, they do it today, they reckon, so the, the day uh, in American culture is uh, 12.01 a.m. is the next day. The Jewish people reckon sundown to sundown, right? Before thousands of years, before, you know, accuracy of computers and, and the, the clocks and all that, this is how they reckoned a day. So, uh, what was happening the night of the, you know, of the, the dinner was also technically in the same day that he was crucified in, based on Jewish reckoning of time. So it's pretty wild. A lot of stuff that we could miss if we read this too fast or we don't look into the historical context of this. Uh, verses 9 through 13. Uh, you know, I, I smirk when I look at this because. I think that if we read Scripture too quickly, we could miss all the beautiful glimmers and glistenings of the deity of Christ. And we think, well, if it's God, it's the parting of the Red Sea. Jesus did a lot of things that were in a lot smaller context, but they were still miraculous, right? And of course, Jesus never went, it's the deity part of me. He just did it, right? And when we study it, we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. So what happens is, he sends the two disciples out into the town. He's not going with them, but hey, there's going to be a guy when you go into town and he's holding a pitcher. You know, have a discussion with him. He'll know who you are. And I'm show you the place where we're going to, you know, it's like me sending, uh, you know, Brad and Sarah out to Jamesburg right now and saying, don't leave. Uh, and then, just kidding. And then saying to, you know, go to the, I don't know, one of the stores and, you'll see somebody holding the plate and, and I'm telling you their name and it's going to be exactly when you walk into the restaurant and they're going to know that I sent you. That's, how, how does he do that stuff? Well, let me just make it even more interesting is that um, men had their chores back then and women had their chores. Men usually weren't holding the pitchers. That was what the women did, but the men did more of the physical labor to get everything set up. So Again, you can miss this if you read it too quickly, but it's pretty wild. Um, you know, it's, it's neat stuff. And again, I look at the preparation as 
God's love for us. Everything happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. Verse 14, continuing on, it says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, it says, With fervent desire I have desired. Okay, if you look at that word in any study Bible, fervent is italicized. So the translator said, you know, based on our knowledge of the Greek and the Hebrew, we have to put that, um, that adjective in there, right? Fervent. But technically, it's supposed to read, if you translate it, with desire, I have desire to eat this Passover. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. I love all the little nuggets here. With you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So three is the Passover, right? Let's just go with this, with desire I have desired. When you look at the Greek, um, and we've heard of double negatives in the English, it, it, there's a lot of emphasis. And the Greek grammatical structure is very fascinating. I studied Greek. And you, you would almost read a passage, and it says the same Greek word twice. And you're like, what's this all about? It's a double positive. So it really is translated technically as with desire I have desired, which doesn't make a lot of sense. However, when you have a double positive in Greek, it's, it's a strong emphasis on what Jesus is saying. He's saying with fervent desire or with longing desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. This is different. This Passover is different, right? If I could read uh, Hebrews 12, a lot of people, are, um, they struggle with the whole crucifixion thing, and it, it takes a lot of, uh, histori- a lot of uh, preparation to understand the Old Testament, why this actually had to take place. But in Hebrews 12.2, it speaks about looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. He didn't enjoy going to the cross. We're going to get to that part, right? Oh, yes. What do you want to do? 32 AD. I just want to be crucified. Nobody wanted to be crucified. Especially being fully God, he never sinned. Now he's being punished for something he didn't do, which is even more offensive, right? So for the joy that was set before him, and many Bible translators believe that we're the joy, you're the joy that was set before Jesus. He knew your names thousands of years later as he was going to that cross. For the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross. He dealt with it. Unfair, shouldn't have to, but this was the only way to save humanity when you look at all the lambs and the sacrifices and stuff. He despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Powerful stuff. Great suffering and humiliation, but great joy. It's a paradox. I actually officiated at a, a few weddings the last few weeks. And one of the weddings, um, it, was, it was awesome. She, what a sweet young lady. She said, now, Pastor Joe, don't give me a lot of words to say in the vows because I'm, I'm, I'm nervous now. I'm going to be so nervous. I said, all right, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Can you say I do? I can do that. So, so I, listen, I, I'm, it's like have it your way. You know, how do you want your wedding? I'll tell her it's a, within reason, <laughs> however you want it, right? So... She was, you could see the, the nervousness, right? The anxiety, the trepidation. 
but she was so happy. And it was so great. It was, I just love doing weddings. Um, and I just love seeing how the two people are, they're like made for each other. And it was so cool because they were like kind of talking and I asked what they were saying. I couldn't hear. I was trying to, you know, so he said to me, he was saying to her, breathe, breathe. What a great husband, you know what I'm saying? So it was, so, oh, I was so happy doing that wedding. But, um, okay, where was I going? <laughs> I know there's somebody downstairs watching who loves when I lose my place. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I figured it out. But basically, you know, it's something where you can be so on edge, right? Just, but at the same time, be so happy. Like with the wedding, she just so badly wanted to be his wife. He wanted to be her husband. But she was so nervous. But it was a good nervousness, right? So with Jesus, he endured all the awful things that were going to happen to him because he saw into the future. He saw people getting saved through that sacrifice. So he did it. Wild stuff. Um, let's talk about the, the cups, all right? And this is a little side discussion. This is the... the I don't want to say arguments, but the debates that Bible teachers have. So the four cups in the Passover, right, are the first cup, you know, wine. And it was like a diluted wine. It would be sanctification. And there was a meaning behind all four cups, obviously. You think about the uh, deliverance uh, from Egypt. Uh, So the first cup is sanctification. Two is deliverance and judgment, right? Three is redemption. And four is restoration and praise. So I made the mistake of calling Pastor Jason, Dr. Falzerano. <laughs> He's a Jewish believer who also holds a doctorate. We, we have a lot of these discussions. And I said which cups I thought it was. And then he said which cups he thought it was. And then he told me of another teacher that he respected, which he thought it was a different set of cups. I'm like, all right. You know, so people will say, well, it's the third cup of redemption because he had to go to the cross. That was the last cup that he took. I could make an argument that he didn't partake of the fourth cup because restoration and praise, he might, that might be the cup that he takes in the kingdom. Again, it's my conjecture. I don't know. I wasn't there. There's no video of it, you know, which cup he's taken. But it's funny because you can get caught up in, the, you could see the forest. You can't see the forest for the trees, you know, and sometimes we do this. We get caught up in all these ancillary things when the bottom line is he died for our sins, right? As long as you can remember that, you don't have to remember which cups that he took. But uh, people make good arguments for which cup was taken the first time, which cup was taken the second time. Uh, Did he take all four cups? Did he take three of them and not the four cup? Now that you're totally confused, don't worry about it because the bottom line is, you know, they're doing the Passover Seder, so... Again, the bottom line is that, that he did this so that we could have everlasting life, period, right? But I do encourage you, when the spring comes and we do Messiah and the Passover, if you haven't seen that demonstration, a lot of Jewish organizations do it, and they'll just show the... Inc- and, and it's very... almost 99.5% of the other organizations because the Messiah is all over the Passover celebration. So they were to look forward to what God did for them to look back, but they were also to look forward to the Messiah coming. Pretty exciting stuff. Verse 19, last two verses for this morning. It says, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So it's quite possible that, uh, I believe it's called the Afikomen, and that was the one that was taken out, and he broke it and gave it to them, and they not realizing that he was fulfilled in the bread that they were giving to his uh, followers. Pretty wild. So four out of four is a new rite instituted. And what seems to happen is they partook of the Passover and somewhere there was a transition into this new rite of the Lord's Supper or communion. Right? So uh, again, the disciples, he had to impress some very strong symbolism and metaphors in their minds. You know, If you ever studied what Roman crucifixion was like, and, and then you start to see the jeering crowds, the religious leaders with glee. Uh, it does appear that, and there could have been more, that we only read about Mary. You know, his mother, the women, the women were the brave ones. A lot of the guys were gone, except for John. There could have been one or two other followers or some from the crowds. We're not really sure. But if you read about how brutal and horrific it was, a lot of people, it was weird. We do this in America, blood sport. We want to see something gory, and it's, it's horrible. Back in those days, they had the same thing. They had the people who, they wanted to watch it. Others were the loved ones, and they just wanted to see their loved ones the last few moments. But there were also yet others who could not, who could not stomach it, who could not deal with it, because it was brutal if you actually read about it. So he had it instill in them, before this happens, this is not the end. It's not the end, right? Think about how we enjoy communion. We're going to talk about the elements and what they mean. But to the disciples, wait a minute, he, you know, did you hear what happened to Jesus? How could that be? You know, I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead four days while he was in the tomb. I saw him cast out legion. How, how could he not overpower the Roman soldiers? Because he went, went willingly for us, right? So they had to, in their minds, was him, those last moments, of their loved one, Jesus Christ, breaking bread, giving it to them. This is my body, take. You know, this is, this is the cup, right? The new covenant in my blood, right? So, very powerful stuff here. Um, it's not the end, guys. It's just the beginning, you'll see. Just wait the three days <laughs> and you'll, be, you'll see what I'm talking about. Paraphrase there. Um, however, there can't be an eternal glorious kingdom with sinners who haven't been justified, and that had to happen at the crucifixion. So this, this right that the Lord instituted symbolically brought the church together and sustained them for two millennia. That's, that's a pretty long time. The Romans said the fires of Vestia would burn forever. You know anybody who burns fires of Vestia? Somebody like, who's Vestia? <laughs> you know, they just, they're pagan rites. Um, a lot of these weird things that people said, you know, our kingdom's going to last forever. It's been 2,000 years. We still, every church that I know of, uh, celebrates in some fashion communion of the Lord's Supper. So let's look at this. A few things. Number one, the bread. You know, and and it, it, God is just, obviously, He's so brilliant, right? Even the smartest person that you know, He gave them that brilliance. So, you know, if you, if you lose a loved one, what do you do, right? At a eulogy, you, you think about the last moments you had with that loved one. So the last moments, Jesus breaking the bread, saying, this is, this is my body, take it. He wasn't saying it literally. John 6 dispels that. We're not literally eating his body or drinking his blood. This was a metaphor. 
Okay? He clears that up in John 6. So he's basically saying as he's breaking that bread and giving it out to his followers, as bread sustains society, America is very different. I go to the bread aisle and I get confused. There's too much bread. Too many, too many choices. Just close your eyes and pick one. The one with the seeds and the nuts, that's good for you. Um, so back then, if you were poor, and a lot of people were, maybe the only thing they really had was bread and maybe eggs once in a while or something. But um, the point he was trying to get to his followers was, as bread sustains the human race as we speak, you don't just eat once and don't have to eat again for 10 years. You have to do it on a daily basis. I'm the bread of life. And... As that bread sustains you physically, me, Christ, sustains us spiritually. Right? Also the cup. That was important because again, like people today, maybe some people watching or or here today saying this crucifixion thing, I'm not fully understanding. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It had to be shed for the remission of sins. We go back to Leviticus 17. We go back to the temple sacrifices. We go back to Passover. The innocent dies for the guilty. So he had to shed his blood. Those two symbols. In addition to why, why do we celebrate uh, communion? Well, based on the word, koinonia, it's fellowship. So this sort of things like churches do this. You could, you could actually this week have uh, Christian friends over. You don't have to do it in church. After dinner, you want to celebrate, you know, you're that close to these people. You're aligned spiritually. You could partake of communion at your house when, uh, Thursday night. No problem, Right? Because it's a corporate thing. More than one person. Could be 50 people. Could be 100. Could be two. Um, so there's this, this fellowship. As we're thinking about God, remembering Him and, and desiring Him, we're also with other people doing it together. And that's pretty cool. I pray privately. I pray corporately. The last thing here is that, um, again, the Lord has to be part of this. And, and you know, it's all, it's all kind of put together in here. Um, before we close, two references to the coming kingdom. And again, I, it, this was me, and this is people that I see who were in religion, but then come to a church where they actually start to study the Word, and they're like, no, my church never taught me about Him coming back. And i got to be honest with you, neither did mine. They never mentioned it. So here I'm going to a Bible teaching church, and we use the same Bible. They just chose not to cover it. Sometimes churches, and, and again, the, the psychology, the forensic psychology behind it, uh, you know, I like to kind of take a guess, but some, I, I hate to say it, Christian organizations are so big, they're so mammoth, that they forgot what their mission was. You know, there are some pastors in some places you'll never meet them. The young man I was talking about on, uh, who, came, who I talked to, uh, who just was a recent believer, he was telling me about some things he was searching and he he had the discernment to say you know what? i'm not watching that anymore it's a show the guy's a brand new believer holy spirit right discernment um we, we we can't lose our mission in life what is our main mission as especially my what i do is to get people closer to god well you do weddings you do funerals you do this you, you teach i do a lot of things but my main thing is to reconcile the unsaved world, whoever God puts in my path to their, their creator, their father who loves them, won't force them, sends up enough signals, woos them, they, an act of their free will, come back and they come back to him. And they, they you know, it's, it's love is real when it's not forced.
Uh, so we see the teachings of the coming kingdom. He even, and I talked about this, he even did this during the you know, communion and Passover. But basically the message is titled, A Lot Going On. And I know I went to a lot of different directions because there was a lot going on. Right? Um, why? Well, anything that would have deterred Christ, not only from going to the cross, but going to the cross on Passover, right, would have had disastrous results for the rest of us in the afterlife. No other belief system gives us this assurance of eternal life. And I've studied a lot of religions. Well, can you, and I would say, well, can you assure me? What can you tell me that I could do that could assure me? Well, you could do this, that, and the other thing, but we still can't say, you know, only God knows. When you read the scripture, God is very clear about his desire for us to be with him and how to get there. So how do you not know? Uh, do I want to follow something where I'm not sure what's going to happen when I die? Let's, you know, let's roll the dice and see what happens. I'm, I'm not interested in that. But they, they can't give that assurance. What Christ did for us was prophetic. It was legal. It was logical. Most important, it was loving. The Bible says that we love Him. Why do I love Him? Because He first loved us. He loved us first. And that goes a long way. Right? You see this in relationships. Who's going to say, I love you first? You know, who's going to show signs that it's getting serious? You kind of play this kind of thing going on. You know, you're trying to read each other. Here, it's, it's, there's no reading. God loved us first. And that solves it. Well, should I get serious with God? Well, He showed that He wants to be serious with me. Why not? What do I have to lose? Even better, he didn't do it with words or virtue signaling, which we see all over today's culture. He did it with action, and he did it with a great price to himself. Amen? So my question to you is, will you respond to his overtures of love towards you like so many have in the past? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.